Hey everyone, a quick programming note to round out the year. I'm going to be playing some of our most listened to episodes so you can hear the amazing content from our great guest again. Thank you to everyone who's listened to the show and all the support you've shown. It's truly appreciated. And now, on with the show. The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have everyone back, but let me tell you, I am even more excited to have our guest on today. She is the CEO of Multifamily For You, Sandia Sasadri. She is here with us today. Sandia, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great, Cody. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It is a pleasure to be here. No, absolutely. Listen, the pleasure's all mine. Listen, folks, we've been having a blast before we hit record. I'm going to have to start actually hitting record and letting y'all hear some of this. Sandia is hilarious. We've had a great time, so I'm super excited to have you on. For those, hopefully, that aren't hearing your name and voice for the first time, but if they are, would love to get a little bit more information about where you're from, how you got into real estate, and what kind of real estate you find yourself in these days. So I originally grew up in India, and I'm not going to tell you my entire life history, but just a short form, which is that my parents were highly educated, but they made about $60 US a month at six zero, And I dreamt of coming here to the United States for college, and college here cost me about $20,000 a year. So the only way to go about it was by getting a scholarship and actually taking my academics seriously as a teenager with a lot of other varied interests. And that's how I was able to come here. So I'm your typical Asian geek, got my engineering degree, got a job, and realized very quickly in the corporate world that uh, business types of folks and marketing folks, you know, those people started making all the decisions for me. And we as engineers just had to go and execute their plans. And I was like, how do they make these decisions? How do I understand and get on the other side if I could? And that's what got me into getting an MBA, gave me the business uh, knowledge, and I went into the stock market. Eventually, I had a family. And so my time with kids became a priority. So I went 100% full time into the stock market away from the corporate world. So what brought me to real estate was that I had always known that real estate is a great way to build wealth. And um, I did not have the background to be a handy person and fix a leaky toilet on a Thanksgiving day kind of stuff. So I wanted to avoid the tenants, toilets, trash, and termites, the four T's, as I call it, of being a landlord. So single family just was ruled out for that reason. But when I heard from a friend about multifamily, about how you can go straight in and scale up to a large multifamily acquisitions of at least 80, 100 doors and up, Uh, You build a team and you employ a full-time property management company, third-party company, and you employ a leasing manager, maintenance staff on site. So you don't have to do the day-to-day hassles of a landlord, but you could be an asset manager at a higher level, uh, monitoring the financials and taking action as needed. Uh, But leaving them to do most of the day-to-day work, it really made sense. And so I joined a mentoring program. They gave me the education and the network I needed. And so that's where I am today. Um, I have invested on the passive side in over 3,500 doors, and I'm actively involved in about 650 doors as of right now. And uh, it's been a phenomenal experience. Uh, I've learned a lot. 
And I would say the power of networking is what got me this far. Wow, that's awesome. And, and listen, I know I say it every episode, but I truly mean it. it. It's so great to hear everyone's background because I think for those that are listening, it's important to know that you can come from so many different disciplines and different areas in life. You, you, you don't have to have a background in real estate. I think it's more the hunger of education and what you want to get out of it that will drive you to that. But I will say, I think you're the first person we've had on the show that was full-time uh, in the stock market and made the jump over to real estate. So that's always awesome to hear. I truly love hearing everyone's background because of our listeners, helping them understand it doesn't matter what you're doing now. There could be an opportunity for you in real estate, whether it's passively or actively. But Sandy, I, I appreciate that, but we really brought you on here today. As much as success as you've enjoyed and had, would love to understand some of the you know challenges, bumps and bruises that you've gotten along the way to educate us to either avoid those or to help us get out of those if we're in them today. So the first uh, bump I want to talk about is the mistakes I made as a passive investor. Because the first thing I did was to build relationships. I invested passively. And one specific deal, there was someone with a very impressive profile on social media with a very strong construction background. And that's the kind of things that I had no background in. So I want to go meet with someone, network with someone and build a relationship with someone who's got something that I really want to learn and get better at. And they are based in Dallas. So it's the perfect partnership because I live in Dallas. What happened was their construction management background and the fact that they owned a construction company was actually not really a positive in this case, because what they were after was to get all the construction business from the deal for their company. So they were interested in spending more and more and more CapEx projects on very fancy interiors, uh, all the possible exteriors. So millions of dollars we're talking in construction projects for the CapEx. And they continued to do this in 2020 through second quarter. You know, COVID hit all of us in March. So I know that the one property I was managing at that time, we froze all capital spending. We only spent money on the bare essentials. We were waiting to see how COVID played out in terms of delinquencies. But this asset manager instead spent a lot of money through the second quarter of 2020. And then in July of 2020, they came back to us, the passive investors, with what is called a capital call. That means they don't have enough money to make their payments. And so they're coming back to us passive investors to put more money into the deal when, in fact, they should have been making distributions back to us by that time. And when they realized that doing a capital call dilutes the membership shares, they decided to call it a separate member loan. And that's what they ended up doing. So, I mean, in that sense, they saved the dilution of shares. But in every other way, this was a property that was a, a portfolio of properties acquired in November of 2019. And today we're in September 2021. And I can tell you, I have received zero distributions to date, not a penny on my investment. And so the lesson learned as a passive investor is uh, do your due diligence on the operator. A, co a comprehensive construction management background and company is not the same as asset management. So asset management is actually about addressing things like delinquencies through this COVID period. So an important question to ask is, how do you address delinquencies? 
What is your business plan? Month to month, if your financials are not meeting target, what is your plan to get through that? Have calls with them and emails with them if you invest passively in a deal where the deal is starting a sort of a downslide or a trend that is not good. But the most important of all, they need to have proven asset management experience or have a partner with that asset management experience in that local market. I don't want to be your guinea pig. I don't want to be your trial. Okay. I take it the same way I would look at a doctor for brain surgery. Please have an experienced surgeon helping you. if This is going to be your first brain surgery. So that's my lesson learned on the passive side. And that's interesting. We've heard people in the past talk a little bit about making sure they do their due diligence uh, on asset managers to make sure that they're qualified to be able to do this. Those are some great questions to ask. I, I absolutely love those. What other type of research or, or topics are you wanting to cover or that you think would be valuable for those that are looking to get in on real estate on the passive side? What else should they be doing to help do that due diligence or go through that due diligence for those asset managers? So I have a passive investors checklist I can also share at the end of this uh, interview. But uh, one of the most important things I ask for is a resume, right? So show me a list of all the properties that you have owned and asset managed. That's what I ask a sponsor. And then I say, please connect me to one passive investor for each of those properties with whom I can have a call. It's sort of like when you're interviewing for a job, right? You want references. So please provide me with references of a passive investor from each of these different deals so I can get a perspective on how well you have done in terms of not just an operator delivering results, but also your communications. And, uh, you know, that's as important to me is to keep in, keep tabs, your transparency, um, how large of a fees you take up front that we call the acquisition fees versus rewarding yourself at the back end with maybe a waterfall kind of structure, which pays you in the back end for doing a great job. Rather than paying the sponsor a lot of money upfront in acquisition fee, in which case what happens is once the deal closes um, and now the asset management period begins, where you, the passive investor, are sort of stuck in this deal, if you will, for the next three to five years, does the sponsor have any skin in the game? Or are they pretty much done? Hey, the deal closed. Let's celebrate. Let's go, you know, post it on social media. And then the show is over. No, the show is not over. It's just begun. You know, it's like the honeymoon's over. Now the real marriage begins. So same concept. So um, I definitely look for that. If the acquisition fee is higher to where none of the sponsors have even the minimum skin in the game after closing, then I don't invest in that deal. So that's another question I ask them for. How important is it for you when you're looking at asset managers that they actually invest in their own deals, not just the percentages they get from the from from the deal itself and doing all their due diligence and whatnot, but how important is it if they're putting their own, as you said, skin in the game on the LP side mm-hmm. uh, for all their deals? For me, it's essential that they have at least a minimum investment. So if you need a minimum of 50K on a deal, like my last deal, right? I invested 150,000 on my own deal as the, on the passive side, even though I was the general partner. So I want to see people invest at least 50K or whatever is their minimum in the deal after closing. Because let's say they invest 50K, but then they get an acquisition fee of 100K. Well, really, they don't have any skin in the game. They have nothing to lose financially if the deal goes badly. I understand their reputation is at stake and they have signed the loan, et cetera. So I get those things, but still. I want to see skin in the game after closing 
by actually having a financial risk also for each of the GPs on the deal. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, uh, we've heard before too, I mean, this is one of those things that if you don't do this type of information finding up front, you can find yourself, unfortunately, like you said, where you're not getting distributions from Mm -hmm. the asset manager, which is not what we want at all, right? I mean, there could be a good payoff at the very end, but we also like that cash on cash return. Exactly. I think an easy way is to just develop your own checklist as a passive investor and just send that email out. Every time you get an offer, oh, come invest in my deal. It's the greatest deal that you'll ever have seen in your life, right? Just reply saying, please fill this out for your deal. And then usually it's silence. Sure. Well, yeah. And I mean, listen, that could be a lot of work on an asset manager, but it's probably going to be worth it. Or they already have those answers readily available. Mm-hmm. They just don't have them jotted down. But yeah. uh, for us that, that are on the asset manager side, on the GP side, if we're starting to get a lot of those, I'm probably thinking, man, I probably want to jot these things down because these are frequently asked questions oh, yeah. or just develop a frequently asked question page about the deal. And you mm-hmm. can head off a lot of those things in there. And about the sponsorship team. So we always have the resumes of the sponsorship teams and track record and all of that available. So even in our webinar slides, when we present a GP opportunity where we are trying to raise capital for a deal, one of the things we put in there is the track record of the sponsor. So we list all the deals owned by each sponsor individually on their you know, resume page, if you will, on the intro portion. And we list how the deals are performing. Yeah, we struggled through due to COVID. We did not make a distribution in second quarter of 2020, but guess what? We kind of added it all up and gave it back to the investors in third quarter. And this is how the deal is performing. And if you need more references, let us know. If you've done well, you should be bragging about it this way to your investors and the, showing the reality. Yeah, the appropriate way, right? So we're right. The, the the webinar when you're doing the, the the call to action is the appropriate way to say, look at our track record, do this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I want to mm-hmm. circle back because I know there's probably some listeners that are looking at some new asset managers, some mm-hmm. new operators. Mm-hmm. You mentioned making sure that if they are relatively new, it doesn't mean they're bad. They may just not have the track record. But right. for, for you, it seems it's important to make sure that they have somebody on their asset management team, maybe mm-hmm. a mentor somebody that would be okay, or do they need somebody in, in some sort of joint venture that would be a little bit more hands-on than a mentor? What's the, the right approach for you or, or what do you look for when you're investing passively for people that might be new to the game, uh, but looking to be on that GP side? I always want to have at least one experienced GP on the partnership team, even if their role is very minor, um, as sort of like a coach or a consultant, if you will, on the GP team, so that um, it's all about you don't know what you don't know, right? You're going into this uh, room and you're going to perform brain surgery. You don't know about all the other things that could go wrong. And there's a price for that experience that you just can't um, put out value on, right? So that's why you partner with someone with experience so they can watch out for things that you can't anticipate. So, and you learn it as you go, but even then every deal is so new, so different. I mean, do you know what to do if your apartment catches fire, right? Right now I know what I have to do. Even though I've not experienced it, I've talked to enough sponsors now, been through enough deals to know what I have to do. But it's just things like that. Like I got a call and somebody said, well, this tenant is threatening move out because they've had a leak in their thing for which the plumbers have cut out a large hole in their kitchen and they have small children and it's unsafe for them. So guess what I said? I said, move them immediately to the first available unit, even if it's a smaller size, let them use it, tape off the kitchen 
and then give them a concession, but not a huge concession, more of a next month's rent, you'll get 50 bucks off kind of deal. But I had to make that decision in a phone call. So are you able to do that? If you're a brand new asset manager at short notice, this was at 5 p.m. on a Friday. Most of the staff was going to leave. I didn't want this ten causing problems and go into the you know news media or social media outlets and complaining about landlords who don't care because of right. this problem, right? So we thought, okay, there's a plumber there. The issue is being addressed. That's all I was uh, imagining. So instead, what happened? This threat, uh, tenant is like threatening to you know start a big storm about it. I'm like, no, we care about you. We don't want your children hurt with a hole in the kitchen. I know what it's like to have small children. We're going to tape that off. We're going to give you access to a nice vacant unit with a full kitchen. So go use that. Can you make split second decisions, or do you yeah. have to? And and that's where the experience comes in. Right. Same with a fire. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that if you don't know, you don't know. But if you have somebody on your team that does mm-hmm. have that experience, you, whether it's, a, as you said, a mentor, coach, or even somebody that works directly on your team that's mm-hmm. uh, done it before, you at least have somebody that you can run through those types of strategies with and, and get those ideas and get quick mm-hmm. answers mm-hmm. in those situations. You know, I, I think that's incredibly important, whether you're looking to be on the passive side and looking at asset managers and sponsors for that sort of thing. Or if you're looking to get into the game on the active side, I think we keep making the pitch for why it's so important or or valuable, if you will, to have a coach or a mentor. If you don't have somebody on your team that has done this for a living for quite some time, I think that just keeps coming back up and is vitally important. Sandy, I I think that's as good enough a spot as ever to kind of wrap up because there have been a ton of lessons. If, If people want to, I would highly recommend Go back and listen to this again. Uh, there's a lot of good information in here, and we want to make sure you get it, whether you are going to be on the passive side or the active side. So, Sandy, I can't thank you enough for that. For those that want to maybe work with you, partner with you, learn more from you, or just connect with you, where's the best place folks can find you at? My website is the best way to reach me. It's multifamilyforyou.com, where four is the number four and it's Y-O-U spelled out. Multifamily number four, Y-O-U.com. They can provide their name and email address and a short message saying how they would like to connect or what their question is. And I will uh, reach back to them very quickly. So. Perfect. Yeah. And we'll drop that link in the show notes for everyone's to quickly access. So Sandy, I, Honestly, I can't thank you enough. It's been a blast. I loved having you on and I thank you for sharing your experience and all your lessons with us today. Thank you so much for having me and uh, I look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll catch everyone next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.